1: This is the Ken Carman Show. And we are coming to you live from the Quicken Loan Studios, National Mortgage Lender. Quicken Loans apply simply, understand fully, mortgage confidently. It's the Ken Carman Show on CBS Sports Radio, 855-2124-CBS, 855 2124 I'll get the Kyler Murray here in just a moment. I, I loved what Chip Patterson said. I know it's never going to happen. I know it's never going to be where they revert and go back to the BCS or... Or, or to the four-team, just stay with four teams. I know it's going to get to eight. I just have two simple things. And again, some people took this the wrong way. I'm not talking to the student-athlete. I'm talking to the fans. For all you fans who say you're on the side with Jay Billis about, well, they need to pay the players. This is ridiculous. These teams make all this money. These programs make all this money. Okay, I'd be with you. I understand. There's a lot of time. If you want a some cake, Fine. You're able to make money doing basically anything else. You can make money off your own likeness. You have no idea what's going to happen in the future. Hey, I dig it. I dig it. You want to give them a couple bucks? Go give them a couple bucks. Just understand that some of this is going to change over time and that they can't always afford to give them a couple of bucks and you're going to take away opportunities because there's going to be the opportunity of one, a scholarship, which is given, which is a value type of thing, or two, whether it's going to be scholarship and money. Well, there's going to be times where you can't give both, and there's going to be a couple of situations here, and I'm not talking about the big, big ones. I'm talking about your regular run-of-the-mill Conference USA schools that you might not be able to give both. And if you play 16 games, because that's the magic number for big-time college football, because if you play 16 games, then you're playing as many as the big boys. And if you're playing as many as the big boys, you're just opening yourself up to a class action suit. Because a guy who's playing 16 games in the NFL, he could be some schlub but he's still making six six $600,000 a year, $400,000 a year, millions of dollars, doesn't matter what it is. In college football, there's no quote-unquote payment of it of any sort, even though a couple of places have changed a couple of rules to finagle some things, but there's no real payment to it. You get to 16, you're just going to get sued. So you can open it up like that. And then on the other side, if you say, well, then we'll just eliminate some of these early cupcake games. Okay, but if you're one of the ones that are also arguing for UCF to get in, and how UCF is the real national champion. I don't know if UCF is UCF if they don't play some of those early games. You have to look at them as one of the prime examples. Owen 12 out on their ass, trying to find something for themselves there. They get themselves Scott Frost. They start to build some things. It was starting to build a little bit before Scott Frost as well. But you start to build some other things that go your way. Things are looking better. All of a sudden, now you got yourself a program that people are excited about that are one of the darlings of the country. Can you do that if you're not playing big-time college football teams at the beginning of the season that have a ton of money at the very beginning of things? I don't know if you can. When you're getting $1.5 million or $1.3 million like a couple of years ago when they went 6-7, and seven, they go to Michigan. Then they play Maryland. Couple years before that, when they went 0 and 12, they went to Stanford. They were at, they played Penn State, and then they were at Missouri before that. Penn State at home, okay, that's different. At Stanford, you get money to go to Stanford. I'm sure you do, as an American Athletic Conference team. So you probably get something there. More than likely, you get something there. Does that money still help you out? Are you that team without that money? Because remember, you got to pay the assistants. You hopefully are getting a bigger budget because of that so you can go recruit and you can go get those players. So there is a trickle-down effect here that we have to be cognizant of. And so while we look at UCF, and UCF is a good football team and they're fun and people love them. I'm not taking anything away from them. But do they get that opportunity if they don't play those early season games against some of those monsters? I don't, I don't think they do. So now you're making an argument that's something that is not even realistic then. And also for our argument's sake, just for us, just having fun, beating it around a little bit, Chip was right about this, where it's a lot more fun to argue four and five or even two and three. It's a lot more fun to argue those than it is to argue seven and eight. UCF is an eight squad. You can do that. It's more fun to argue that. When you get to Florida, if I were to go to the phones and just say, hey, what do you think of Florida football? Everybody'd say they suck. They're the 10th ranked team in college football, according to the playoff rankings. It's still not bad. Michigan, Michigan's a big deal, but you go, eh, you know, you lost to Ohio State, you don't really deserve it. UCF, they go undefeated, they play in a weaker conference, oh my god, UCF can beat this team and that team, and they still beat Memphis after being down. They were still able to do it without Mackenzie Milton. Okay, you won't make that argument for one of the other teams, though. You will not make that argument for Michigan or, or LSU or Penn State or Washington State. Certainly, number thirteen in the country, you wouldn't make that argument against for any one of those teams. I like four versus five because it's fun. It becomes personal. It's an argument between fan bases where immediately you start to talk about the other team's parents. You start to talk about the other team's coaches. It gets so nasty and personal. It's fun. But I know at the end of it all, it'll end up being an 18 playoff. It'll be perfect because I can't sit here and argue with a straight face against Michigan or against, I should say, Ohio State taking on Notre Dame at Notre Dame Stadium to open off the playoffs. I can't do that. Michigan and Clemson, Alabama, UCF. Okay, you get your big one there, buddy boy. Better be ready for that one. Oklahoma versus Georgia, the rematch with Kyler Murray if it were to go that way. I I can't argue with you on a straight face about that. Speaking of Oklahoma and Kyler Murray, I think he might be looking for some love in all the wrong places. Chip Patterson was at media availability earlier this week, and he was talking to Lincoln Riley. And he quotes out that Lincoln Riley says that Kyler Murray has a strong decision that he has to make because there are some that are insinuating that he could end up being a top 10 pick. Certainly first round, certainly a top 10 pick, especially with this quarterback class where Justin Herbert's going back, I still question whether or not that's a good idea just because if you're going to go back and get college coaching, you believe that's the top level, I think I could easily make the argument and say, NFL coaching is just as good, if not better, because you're getting ready for an NFL system. You're going to have to take the live bullets at some point. You would definitely be the number one overall pick this year, where I don't know if you beat back next year. And if we're watching you next year, we're only going to pick apart what you're doing wrong, not necessarily what you're doing right. All those things go against you. Either way, Justin Herbert pulls out. You would see Dwayne Haskins. Daniel Jones had a couple of overthrows and a couple of bad picks, but he looked good in his bowl game there'd be a couple of names that are out there. And Kyler Murray would fit in and fit nice. But I think some people are telling him the wrong thing about what he could do for his future. Kadri Ishmael was on with us earlier in the show, and you can find this at CBSportsRadio.com, where he had said if he was his father or his consigliere, he would say that you need to go play baseball. To me, that's the stunning thing about it, where you have former guys who played in the NFL, won Super Bowls in the NFL, had a long career like Kadri Ishmael saying, go play baseball. Go make your guaranteed money. Go be with the strongest players union out there. Go play baseball and don't look back. Kyler Murray's 21 years old, and it would be hard for me if I was Kyler Murray's father, it'd be hard for me to look at my son and tell him sternly to tell him to have to play baseball because he's his own man. He's 21 years old. He can do whatever he wants now, and he'd be following his heart, and it seems that he wants to play football. It seems that he does not. He might like baseball. It seems that he loves football, and it's intoxicating. Full stadiums every single week. You're playing at the highest level in college football. You just won a Heisman Trophy. Everybody and their brother loves you. Hell, I love you. Everything's going in the right direction with football. So you start to tell yourself when you're playing at that level of competition, hell, I can beat anybody, and I know I can get to the NFL, and I can beat anybody in the NFL. You start to tell yourself that. But if you look at the dollars and cents, you can put this in your own life. How many of us regret decisions we made when we were in our early 20s now that we're in our 30s and we're in our 40s? How many people listening look back when they're in their 40s, back of their 20s and go, man, I should have started saving then. I can't believe I bought tires for my truck with my student loan money that now I have to pay out the you-know-what because of student loans that I should have been able to rear back on that when I was in my 20s so I'm not hampered down with my credit score in my late 30s and my 40s and even into my 50s. Kyler Murray lives a different life. He lives a charmed life, and he should not have to want for his future. Seems like a good enough kid. Hopefully he'll make the right decisions. He should be able to live comfortably in the middle class at at worst for the rest of his life. But if you can attain more and you can have life-changing money throughout the rest of your life and your children's life and possibly your children's children's life playing baseball, look back on it not when you're making this decision based on what you feel right now, What's going to be that best decision in 20 years? Because Cadre said it best. You might not love it for the money right now. You will love it for the money later on. And you'll love it for what it provides for those around you. Because when I was 20 years old and I personally was buying truck tires with my student loan money at the University of Akron, I wasn't looking at it right now at 32 years old with a wife, three, com- with one on the way, three sons, a mortgage, a job, health insurance, the whole thing trying to invest, trying to get involved in other styles of business. I wasn't looking at it that way. It was, hey, I would like some nice new tires from a great big truck. I'd like to do it that way because I'm a stupid hillbilly, and I come from a couple of people who are stupid hillbillies, even though my parents are pretty smart. I didn't think about it that way. I wish I would have. And for Kyler Murray, here's an opportunity to look at it a bit differently. Eight five five two one two four 4 cbs Eight five five two one two four two two seven. Coming up next, three up, three down. It's Ken Carman on CBS Sports Radio.
0: Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it.
1: This is the Ken Carman Show. Kyler Murray. Just got done talking about him. I think he could make a horrible decision where if it goes poorly for him in the NFL... I don't think it's just, assume it's just as safe as saying, well, you know, I always have a backup in baseball. You can always be seriously hurt in the NFL. I still don't know if it's that safe for you yet, even though offenses are changing. But, man, to be able to have that decision at your fingertips, I make a big deal about it. It'd be amazing to be at that decision. And the only reason I equate it to any of us is that it's still about money for you, for your future, what you leave behind, what your legacy is left behind as. He could be a great baseball player. He could be an okay football player. If he's a great baseball player, he'll make money hand over fist times, times, times what he will make in the NFL. So I think he needs to sit down and contemplate his heart with his head and where he is at 21 and where he could be at 41, where it's all over and make the smart decision out of that. And while I want to say it's his life and damn the torpedoes, if he goes with his life, I think he's got to be the one that picks baseball and make the smarter decision out of it. Next LeBron. I think that he might've seen why some owners are such tight asses over this weekend. When you put out on Instagram where there's supposed to be harmless rap lyrics, but you have people who take it the wrong way and they get upset about it, and while we can have strong discussions on whether or not it's right or if it's PC, and if it's PC, run amok, any of that stuff, fine, we can go ahead and we can do that, but I still don't think it gives you that credence to do it where you've gone after other people for having those type of discussions there. I think LeBron should have. I don't know if he did. I think he should have learned a lesson over this last week, about what's really at stake for him. You combine that with his comments that he made the week before on HBO about the quote-unquote slave mentality of NFL owners in comparison when we're talking about Eric Reid and Colin Kaepernick. These are strong words, and I hope you remember these strong words when you become an owner. I hope you remember these strong words when we talk about these type of things where you're still speaking about people of high influence, people who make a lot of money, you still make a lot of money playing in the NFL. I still hope you remember this when people fire back on you and talk about what brand you represent and even for that matter what Colin, what brand Colin Kaepernick represents and where those shoes are made with that brand and what how much those people make to make those shoes. You can say that's being picky. That's telling the truth. You're in the public specter. Part of this is political. Part of this is very, very open and very, very honest. And if you want to be open and honest about this, then you have to be open and honest about all sides. And you have to make sure that what you say now is still going to be the truth when you are an owner in the NFL or Major League Baseball or most likely the NBA and whether or not you really stick to that maxim. Or if you're going to insulate and become one of the tight asses, as they are, because... You have to meet insurance because you have pressure from other owners, because you have pressure with corporate partners, because you do have a responsibility to your current employees to make sure those employees have a place to go. And that means that you have a lot that's on your shoulders as a corporate entity. LeBron is learning part of that right now as we go through this together. And so for a guy who's worth over $700 million, and we're reading articles that are written just last week about his emerging empire in L.A. that's become a global brand, I hope he remembers this, because everything you say and everything you do, like with where Warren Buffett and you hang out with him, carries great, great weight and affects the bottom line greatly, no matter how badly you want to think that it doesn't. Next, tampering. You really think Adam Silver is going to issue a stern warning to teams about tampering? This goes along with LeBron, too, about what he said with Anthony Davis. Oh, you're going to get a stern warning. Oh, you might get a fine. You might lose some draft picks. Actually, the draft picks might work because you might want to use those to facilitate some trades to get some big-time players there. I use the Lakers as an example because, hell, with LeBron and Magic Johnson, they seem to be the ones that can do it. But really, who gives a damn? Was Anthony Davis all of a sudden going to stay? Was he going to stay in New Orleans until LeBron said something about playing with him and goes, you know what? This guy's got a point. I think I'm going to stay in New Orleans. I, I was thinking about staying in New Orleans before, but I think I might go to L.A. I think I might leave the New Orleans Pelicans. You know, nobody over the last couple of years has told me about leaving the New Orleans Pelicans. Now, since LeBron mentioned it, you know, it makes a lot of sense. And if you're wanting one of those teams, wouldn't it be just worth it to make the fine or to have the fine? If you're just going to cost me money. Draft picks might be a serious deal, but if it comes down to costing me money, you, you'll pay the money. You're going to pay him max contracts anyway. Why not just take the fine on the money? I don't care about the money. From the Lakers, I don't give a damn. Next. Carson Wentz. I brought this up during the Baker Mayfield discussion because I think this rings true. So many people around the country are getting this wrong about Baker Mayfield. I don't think that Baker Mayfield is really mad at Hugh Jackson for getting fired and taking a job with another team in the division. I think he understands, because so many of you won't let it go, that it's the way things are in the NFL and it's a business. I'm sure that he understands it as well. He's not that stupid, my God. I think Baker Mayfield's a little bit more upset because he looks at the Cleveland Browns right now at 7-7-1, and and I think he thinks that he plays well and that his team plays well and that if he were starting the first couple of games of this season, they'd be in the playoffs right now. I think he feels that if Hugh Jackson wasn't in the way with him and Todd Haley getting in the way of that offense in Cleveland, they'd be in the playoffs right now. And the reason I bring that up when I bring up Carson Wentz is because just a couple of years ago, Carson Wentz, we thought he was going to take over the NFC for the next 10 to 15 years. And then it was going to be the Eagles and every other Super Bowl, a la Tom Brady. We were talking about Carson Wentz being an MVP candidate just a year and a half ago. Now we're discussing whether or not Carson Wentz or Nick Foles should be signed long-term because of Carson Wentz's injuries. These things are very fragile. And Baker Mayfield, while he may not, it might not be at the forefront of his mind there's got to be something subliminally that understands that he knows that this could be something that could be fading that this could be something that's a long-term type of deal but these are ultimately fragile opportunities so every opportunity you can take to be in a playoff You have to try to make the most of it, and I think he looks at Hugh Jackson, and he blames Hugh Jackson for being in the way of the Cleveland Browns trying to get to the 2018 playoffs because if we learned anything from Carson Wentz, it's that these opportunities don't come around, and you have no idea what's going to happen in the future of you. There's all the types of great stories that we absolutely love to latch on to. Then there's stories like what's going on with Carson Wentz right now. And to an even stronger degree, what happened with Robert Griffin III after the first year in Washington, where you had 80,000 people singing Hail to the Redskins at FedEx Field as they went into the postseason. And now where is he? You have to make the most of it while you can. And I, gosh, I look at Carson Wentz and I think so much great plays there. But then there's the question about the injuries. And Nick Foles, every single time you need him, he just seems to step on up. Next, Dino Babers winning in Syracuse. Is that a 10-win team now, Tom? Sure is. That's a 10-win team, the Syracuse Orange. They are 10-3. and They came in ranked 20th. They beat West by God Virginia and Dana Holgerson. Where I, I hear you. I hear you down there in West Virginia. I know you're all upset. Be careful, okay? Dana Holgerson's a good coach. Don't overreact. You had to look at it. I know it ended the hor- uh, I know it ended horribly this season. I got it. Just just I hear you. Don't go crazy about Dana Holgerson. Don't light a, a couch on fire to get the guy fired. But just look at what Dino Babers has done to take a team like Syracuse that was an outpost, a college basketball town, a college basketball school. And to start to win and to be a team that wins 10 games in a season, that is a tremendous job by him. For a team that couldn't do it for, what, 15 years? And I had those great memories of Donovan McNabb and I must mention Kadri Ishmael and Rob Conrad and Kirby Dardar and those teams that could win some games and had the dome rocking. Now to have them at 10-3, and that's a hell of a coaching job by Dino Babers. Next! All right, you guys ready to disagree with me?
0: More than ready. Are you?
1: Christmas cookies suck. Ooh.
0: Come on, Ken.
1: Are you saying that because you're just trying to start a disagreement, or do you really agree with me? Well,
0: first of all, you have to you have to specify what kind of Christmas cookies.
1: All of them. All of them are overrated. All of them are bad. Man, that's a hot and I'm, take that I totally uh, it, you, you know what? It's not a hot take. I'm dead serious about it. I think most people eat Christmas cookies because they think that they're supposed to or because their grandmother or wife or daughter who or, or, or sister-in-law or mother-in-law or whoever it is sweated their ass off to make those Christmas cookies all day when really it's just – A piece of sugar cookie with sprinkles on it and it's either red or green and those ones suck or they make those little peanut butter ones with the hershey kiss in the middle which is too much because i like to let a hershey kiss melt in my mouth i don't like the cookie around it i don't like peanut butter cookies i think they all suck i think they're all too much hard work you want christmas cookies i like oreos soft batch you put those out of christmas i'll be happy i think christmas cookies are way overrated too much hard work i think that they suck Tell me why I'm wrong. You need
0: to eat some good. You're eating the wrong, or at least you're eating boring, bad Christmas cookies. I have like Christ- rules for
1: what they are. I have had Christmas cookies forced down my fat gullet for 32 years. I've had Christmas cookies in Canton, in Cleveland, in Youngstown, with Italians, with Irish, with Irish, with African-Americans. I've had them with them all, man. And no, they're all bad. Have you ever had they're a cookie? A what? Pinoli cookie? Yes, I have. You don't like And Pignoli that one cookies? sucked, too. Oh, that sucked, so too.
0: And you only have them. It's really only a holiday cookie. I absolutely love Oh, those. my
1: God. They're, they're all bad. They're all bad. Why would I have that when I can go out buy a package of Oreos and be even happier?
0: They're better than Oreos.
1: If You know, if Christmas cookies were that good, they sell them all year round. Think about that. Thank you. You don't have an answer, do you?
0: Wait, so you're telling me. In 32 years, you've never bit into a Christmas cookie once saying, oh, you know, this isn't too bad.
1: The only the only delicacy of Christmas in the cookie snack, eh, snacks, it can be a long thing, and I, I probably embarrass myself with that take. The only thing that could be even considered a Christmas cookie is the Buckeye, where you have, like, the the peanut butter, and then you, you dip it in chocolate, and you have that, it's like a peanut butter mixed like a cookie dough that sounds and you good. dip it in chocolate and you pull it out and then it like hardens up and it's called a buckeye cuz you can see the little spot on it. That's it. And That's I'm sure they call it in other places. That's it. The everything else sucks.
0: But just to clarify, we're not talking about store-bought cookies, right? Oh, no, I'm talking
1: homemade. Uh, I'm talking you,
0: what your mom made. Cuz you asked me why they don't sell them all year round. They don't sell them all year round because they don't sell them real ch- Christmas cookies are homemade. That's what's special about them.
1: No, you uh, if you could if you could profit on Christmas cookies, they would sell Christmas cookies all year round. The problem is is that they suck, and the only reason you eat them is because of guilt. I'm telling you right now, if you had a mom and she made Christmas cookies, you only ate them because you wanted to see the look on her face. Her Christmas cookies, just like every single mother out there, sucks. My mom makes mother amazing,
0: Tari- chewy, soft, oh, that's toffee garbage. cookies. No, no, They're no. They're so good. No. She makes like a raspberry bar cookie that's so good.
1: I bet it tastes like Alpo. I gotta bring you some good cookies, man. No, I, feel bad. I don't want, you I don't want your ones. mother's no, I don't want your mother's Christmas cookies. Mother Teresa, if she made Christmas cookies, those ones would have sucked too. Sorry, all you mothers out there, your cookies are terrible at Christmas time.
0: At least you held back till after Christmas, I'll give you that.
1: <laughs> See, if I had any real pills, I would have said that before Christmas, right? It's not a pre-Christmas take. <laughs> Coming up next, our final predictions for the big games tonight. And also, the swan song for Nick Saban. Just just hear me out. This is the Ken Carman Show. 855-212-4227. That's CBS Sports Radio's toll-free line. It's brought to you by GEICO. Speak now, forever hold your peace. By the way, GEICO, you switch to GEICO, they're going to save you a lot of money on car insurance. I swear to you. Go to GEICO.com. 855 212 I got a little bit... Well, I, I didn't get in trouble. It's not my fault. Garrett tweets at me, which I'm not going to say exactly where he is because I don't want to give him any more trouble. He is, uh... I think... Yeah, oh yeah, he's technically local from where I'm at. And I'm not going to say any more. Garrett, you're going to love this, Tom. Ken, thanks for the awkward moment with my wife. Quote, do my Christmas cookies suck? Me, dot, 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 Yes. <laughs> I didn't tell you to tell the truth, Garrett. I didn't say that to you, brother. I said the only thing is, is you know in your heart of hearts you don't need to say it. Boy, you can't tell the truth all the time. People say that they tell the truth to their spouses all the time. You're not a liar. There's little white lies that you can tell. You can't tell big lies, but there are little things there that you just can't say. And man, I mean, let's be, can we just, can you just understand this? And I think you do this just because. You like Christmas cookies. And it's the same thing with a lot of Christmas stuff, really. You look at Christmas cookies, because, and you like them because you like your mother, because you like your wife, because if you have a daughter, your daughter helps to make them, and then you remember the, the nice moments that you have. When you eat Christmas cookies, you're eating the nostalgia. Like, if you grew up in the 70s and you had a aluminum tree... Part of that's nostalgic. We don't have aluminum trees anymore, do we? For the most part, no. So why on hell would you have more Christmas cookies when you know that they suck? Nine out of ten Christmas cookies that you'll have, 99 out of 100 Christmas cookies that you have had over this week because I put them all the way until New Year's and New Year's Day. I would bet that most of them suck. And the only reason you eat any of them is because there's something that's technically supposed to be sweet but they're just out there. What did you bring up, Tom? What type of cookie was it?
0: it was, there's a, a bunch that I like, but there's a toffee cookie my mom makes that, that's really good, a raspberry uh, bar, there's a pinoli cookie my girlfriend makes that's just so
1: good. There you go, your mother and your grandmother, or you, your mother and your your girlfriend, your grandmother. Like your mother and your girlfriend.
0: I mean, I to, like those people also, I don't, but I uh, like the
1: well, cookies. I think, you, I think you taste the love, you don't taste the actual do cookie. Do you like any holiday cookies during I like think, the rest of the year? If your mom, I would love to do this experiment. I like no bakes. Those are great. Uh, I think if your mom, what's a big grocery store chain where you're from?
0: Like ShopRite.
1: If your mom went to ShopRite and made those cookies the same way and somebody said, hey, you got to go into ShopRite and buy this thing of Christmas cookies and you went and bought your mom's Christmas cookies from ShopRite and you thought they were ShopRite Christmas cookies, I think you wouldn't think they were good. I think the only reason you like them is because they're from your mother.
0: I mean, that's that's a tough situation to put myself in, but it's I a like right, the cookies. It's, it's a so right I situation.
1: Like I don't think you would. I don't think you'd like them. Either that or you'd like them so much you go, man, these taste just like moms, and then I'd be the wrong one there. I think people do that with Christmas all the time. It's the same thing with Christmas movies. Like, I don't mind Christmas movies. I just think the the villains are so unbelievably horrible and unbelievable that to me it ruins the movie. We've talked about this before, you and I, haven't we, Tom? Yeah, we have. Okay. You watch Home Alone. Uncle Frank is the cheapest, worst individual ever, ever. I hope his wife is cheating on him every single chance she gets. You're, you got your brother-in-law who's taking the whole family to France, and your cheap ass can't even pay the one twenty-two fifty for the pizzas that are coming in there. Buzz has got to be the worst older brother ever, and I blame Peter McAllister on that. Because Peter McAllister seems to be a good man who wants to provide a lot for his family. He's got a huge family and a huge house on the best block in America, it seems. Until, you know, obviously it's in a bad neighborhood because people are trying to rob him. However... You got this oldest son there who acts like a mortal idiot. You can't imagine that he doesn't know what's going on, but he looks the other way. Meanwhile, Kevin, he's doing nothing but getting beat on the entire movie. And Harry and Marv, could you not chase around children when we really break this down for a second, Tom? Go with me on Billy Jack, you too. Do you not understand? You guys get this, right? In real life, if you're out there and you're, you're trying to run down kids and Home Alone 2, you're trying to run down a child. I don't think you're ever in any sort of a situation where they're ever going to let you out of prison or you'll be ever, ever even in a position to even escape.
0: I mean, I agree with that. Yeah, Home, if I Home Alone were, 2 loses a lot,
1: but first you, Home Alone, you just oh, described I, why it's so good. You just I I need to know why they're in New York in the first place. Second of all, if you are, and I'm sure they, they explained that in Home Alone 2. I didn't mind Home Alone 2 at all. Home Alone 1's the best. I'm just pointing out, you know, you, want, you say you want that house so bad. There's a kid in there. There has to be a point where you're thinking, you know, I'm already going to go to jail if I get caught here. If I'm running down a kid, I'm going to federal prison forever. You are in prison for life. How old is he supposed to be in that movie? Like 11?
0: Yeah, I think so. That's
1: sounds- 10? Maybe even younger than that? You're trying to run down some kid? Please.
0: They're the wet bandits. They're so dumb.
1: It, oh, it's the worst ever. I can understand trying to rob a bunch of houses. When you're trying to run down kids, that's weird. And especially, okay, even if you did consider it, if that kid, if you put your hand on a doorknob and you burn your hand, just, just leave. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's just personal now. Just get out of there, you idiot. Same thing when you look at and I look. Uh, do you guys like the Santa Claus? I'm just thinking about it off the top of my head. Do you guys like the movie The Santa Claus? Not
0: really. No. I, do, I do happen to like that movie. Yeah. Okay,
1: the first half of that movie is great. And then you think of Neil. Neil, who has all the very best of intentions, Neil sucks. First off, you're a psychiatrist. You're trying to tell a seven year old boy about the truth in Santa Claus. You don't need to be trying to tell him the quote unquote truth, even though you're telling him lies, Neil. And we all know that's true. And well, why? Because you didn't wait he didn't get an Oscar well, hold on here, Billy Jack. Why? Because he didn't get an Oscar Meyer weenie whistle, weenie whistle? Is that it? I didn't get my weenie. I I didn't get my weenie whistle when I was three. Well, maybe if your deadbeat dad would get off his ass and stop finding it at the bottom of a bottle and would go out and pay the $1.5 for an Oscar Mayer weenie whistle, maybe you would have believed in Santa and would have believed in Christmas for a little bit longer than, what, three years old, all because you didn't get an Oscar Mayer weenie whistle. Don't put your problems with your old man, Neil, on Tim Allen's son in the Santa Claus. Right or wrong?
0: No, that I agree with. I totally agree with that.
1: I mean, I lo- I like Christmas movies. I get it. I like the nostalgia, the whole thing. It's just there's always these open-ended plots in it that just ugh. Even w- w- what year was It's a Wonderful Life made? Like 1945 or 46? Even the all-time greatest Christmas movie ever. You can debate that with White Christmas. Why 46, is it, you it. 46? Why on earth Lionel Barrymore plays Mr. Potter, right? That's right. Okay, thank you. Why on earth is Mr. Potter got that much of a rager for a town in upstate New York that he has to put it to the townspeople at every chance he gets? Does it really make you feel like a big man where you own all the hell holes in a town of 6,000? Really, Mr. Potter? Do you? Screw you're up? really that bad of a person to put the screws to Bedford Falls, New York? <laughs> Do you
0: scrutinize all movies like this, though? I feel like there's an oh, I un- do. unfair level of scrutiny going on for, but, the, uh, for the okay, but, Because right you look the at cookies, it,
1: for that matter. you look at it in realism. In realism, if they're in New York and you're trying to own every building in New York, like basically he's trying to form a monopoly, right? right. So if you're trying to form every, uh, you're trying to own every business in New York. yeah, I get it. It's New York. You want to be the king of the castle? Hey, I'm all down for the Illuminati. I'm all down for the One World Government. I'm, I'm, I, I'm awake to it. But really, you start this all in Bedford Falls. New Well, I'm a mean old man, and most people hate me, but I don't like them, so it kind of all evens out. Boy, you really put the boots to him, didn't you? Really trying to... Sending George Bailey to prison for telling you the truth about yourself. We basically... You've wasted your life as the richest man in Bedford Falls, New York, and because you've wasted your life as the richest man in Bedford Falls, New York, and you want to put the screws to everybody else, it makes you want to put the screws to them even more because they're telling you the truth about yourself—that basically you're some tycoon in Bedford Falls, New York. Name a little town in big in big time or in big time in upstate New York. What's a what's a Poughkeepsie? Yeah, it's basically he's he's the big time guy in Poughkeepsie. Congratulations, Mr. Potter. At least if you're going to do it. You know, everybody says they want to be like like Nick Saban. At least Nick Saban is a ghoul, and he operates at the biggest level. He's not the master of the Big Sky Conference. At least he's the ghoul of the SEC. Mr. Potter, who are you? Speaking of Nick Saban, you want to talk about real power, Mr. Potter, Lionel Barrymore, who died probably 60 years ago? Do we have the Quentin Williams lined up? Let's play Quentin Williams. This is him. This is how you know you're powerful. This is him before this bowl game between Alabama and Oklahoma.
0: Have you gone up against
1: any quarterback that slightly resembles Kyler Murray? Uh, no, nah, I don't feel like I have going against a quarterback slightly resembling Kyler Murray, but uh, I feel like Kyler Murray is not. Uh, way about... <clears throat> What's that? No, nah, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> that is power see that if you're going to be a major league bastard like mr potter tries to be do it at its highest level here's a guy big time college football athlete playing for another national championship and nick saban's influence the scariness of nick saban had him stop right in the middle of his tracks and refuse to say anything more do we have time to play that again? Play that again. Just listen to him stop out of nowhere and go, oh, my God, what am I doing? Go. Have you gone
0: up against any quarterback that slightly resembles Kyler Murray?
1: Uh, no, nah, I don't feel like I have going against a quarterback slightly resembling Kyler Murray, but uh, I feel like Kyler Murray is not uh, way about <laughs> <laughs> What's that? No, nah, I'm, I'm good. Whoops. Quinn Williams was one more question away from saying, I'm going to need a lawyer before I say anything else. That's Nick Saban right there. Mr. Potter, George Bailey told you off right in your own office. You got your other schmucks walking around with you, carrying around your briefcase, wheeling you in and out with the old time wheelchairs. You're just this mean, nasty old man, Lionel Barrymore slash Mr. Potter. And here you got Nick Saban doing it up big at the biggest level there. He's got people shutting up in the middle of an answer. Because he knows that you're going to deal with the wrath. That's what you love about Nick Saban. But if Nick Saban goes off and wins, and this is where it all ties together, Tom, if Nick Saban goes off and wins, that'll be seven national championships, a complete mastery of college football to the level of a video game. Like even in your video games when you played dynasties before, you know, Ed O'Bannon ruined everything. When you played the dynasty in college football... Even you lost a couple of national championships here and there, but you racked up seven or eight national championships until you got bored with that version, and you were ready for NCAA 15 to come out.
0: Which never happened.
1: Which never happened. But even you were ready for that.
0: 100%.
1: Exactly. Thank you very much, Tom. And Nick Saban's done that in real life. And the only thing I wonder, the only thing I ask you to consider as you watch these games tonight... As you see the 4 p.m. game with Clemson, and then you see the big dogs come out at 8 p.m. with Alabama and Oklahoma, a Heisman Trophy winner against a guy that people, some people thought he stole it from. And Nick Saban taking over Alabama, taking it back to national prominence, and considering a complete mastery of the game. If he were to go one step further, where he's accomplished everything except one thing, and did it with a guy with an immense chip on his shoulder, just like what Nick Saban has. Could you consider him the greatest ever? Because I don't see Bill Belichick walking into a living room in Decatur, Alabama, sitting down with grandma and eating her Christmas cookies and saying, Boy, the grandma, these are delicious. You know what's even more delicious? A full-ride education to the University of Alabama. And that's what Junior gets when he comes with me, because I'm Bill Belichick, and I know that you can trust me. Nick Saban could do that. Belichick couldn't. Just, just consider it at the end of tonight's games. Big thanks to Tom, Brian, Peter Schwartz, Larry Ridley, Billy Jack, doing everything back in New York. I'm Ken Carman. I'll talk to you tomorrow night, 10 p.m. to 2 a. Have a wonderful night, my friends.